0: This is the EWN Podcast Network. If you're someone that feels like you have a lot to say, but either you're afraid to say it, or you just feel like you're not being heard, then meet Carrie MacArthur. Hi, I'm Carrie. If you have ever felt like you're invisible or that you want to be invisible, like you've lost touch with who you are, I just want you to know that I understand. I was there, and I have spent the last six years of my life reconnecting to myself, my power, and my purpose, and now it is my passion to help you to dare to find your voice.
1: So if you're ready, say, I'm ready.
0: I'm ready. Okay, hi, everyone. I am um, so honored and privileged to be able to interview my friend, Tracy O'Malley. I actually, you know, just recently met you. Tracy, um, I remember last last August at our company event and then again at um, another event, a smaller event in Chicago in October, I really um, felt this connection with you. And your story is so fantastic. And where my my purpose, my tagline, I guess, is connecting women and connecting them to their power, their purpose, and their virtue, I really felt that you were the perfect person to interview for this because your story is so compelling. And I'll just say, from what I know, and you can fill in the blanks for what we're missing, but from what I've heard from you, you were really similar to me in the fact that you um, introverted, kind of preferred your isolation and really comfortable by yourself, that you, you found a reason and actually a need, a real human need to connect with other people. And worked through challenges. I know what the challenges are when you feel like being by yourself. You know, you need to connect to people. There's a lot of internal stuff that goes on. And I know it's hard and it's easier just to go back into pattern, but you have taken that and ran with it. And it's really become, to me, the most powerful part of who you are. And your life has changed dramatically because of it. So I would just really love for you to share your story with us. I've been so touched. I know you'll touch so many people.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, we're that introverted isolation came from, I tried to put my finger on what that was. And, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself in the 40, gosh, almost 44 years I've been around. So I've always been one that likes to work on myself. um, But I like to do it alone. And, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. And I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of thing. But when you do like your trust issues go completely out the window because you never know what you're coming home to when you grow up that way. It could be a party. It could be, you know, plates being thrown holes in the wall. You just never know. And so, I mean, if you can't trust what's happening under your own roof, it's really hard to trust anybody else. And so I think that's where my isolation came in and, and where I like to keep to myself. I mean, when I'm around people, I do okay, but it's not my preference. This is before. And, um, You know, over the years, I was overachiever, perfectionist, um, because that didn't make waves in my home. If you did everything right, there was no conflict. And I did at least my part um, to try and keep the conflict at bay. And, you know, that developed into um, eating disorders, alcohol problems. Um, I still was an overachiever. I still did really good at whatever I did, but there were these things that you know, for a long time, they were hidden. Um, Even the alcohol was kind of, you know, touch and go, not everybody kind of knew it was an issue until it became a huge issue at the end. And, you know, I moved through my life, I I got married very young to get away from that life, I moved 3000 miles away from Chicago to, to a different life. And, you know, I, I, I did what I thought I was supposed to do, I got married, had two kids back to back, which are, they're amazing and I love them. And, and, you know, for about six or seven years, things were going great. And, you know, cause I was so consumed with being a parent and a mom and I, you know, it was everything to me and, you know, all the other things were at bay, but slowly, but surely I was becoming more numb, um, disconnected. And then my husband, um, started, working in a different area than he had his whole life. And the disconnect became even more, which eventually led to a divorce about eight years ago. And, you know, I was in my early thirties, a mom, a single mom. And, you know, I didn't even know what I was going to do with that. And, you know, back to isolation, back to, you know, turning inward. I live in Gilbert, Arizona, which is a beautiful place to live, but it is comprised 80% of families. Like, you Know your traditional families, and here it is, this little divorcee in the middle of Gilbert. It just felt so uncomfortable, and so I, and I you know, I retreated even more. And um, you know, I had a business with my husband, uh, it was in the car industry for 10 years. And you know, even after we were divorced, um, we worked together, which I don't recommend. <laughs> it was very stressful, and um, when the economy took a hit, um, I decided to close the doors on the business. I, overnight, I lost um, 85% of my business. And instead of trying to hustle it out with my ex-husband, I decided to shut the doors on it. Um, thankfully, even during a tough economy, um, I was very employable and had many connections in the car business. And that's how I ended up in the corporate end of the car industry. Um, pulling me away from my home, two and a half hours a day of a commute. Um, health support stopped at that point. So the uh, sole financial responsibility was on my shoulders. Um, Shortly after that, we lost our family home, the the home my children grew up in, Um, had to give up our family dogs to move into a rental home. Um, And I was pulled away. And my kids at the time were in junior high, which it's such a hard age anyway. And then for all these changes to happen for them and me, um, it was really, really stressful. And although I was great at my job, I was really good at, of course, you know, the type A overachiever. And especially in the car business, I mean, the, the ratio of men to women is about a thousand to one. So you have to be kind of tough as nails, take no crap kind of girl. Otherwise, you'll get eaten alive. And so I, I loved that role, you know, as a way to put up the body armor, put on the masks um, and go to work. And um, eventually it just caught up to me. I couldn't do it anymore. I was slowly just... You know, I felt like I sold my soul to do this job. And it wasn't until uh, the summer of 2012 when I got the call from my dad. It was a week after Father's Day. And he said he was really, really sick. And I needed to come home to Chicago because they didn't give him much time. And my dad was not one to beat around the bush at all. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, you need to come now. And so I said, okay. Um, Making the arrangements to get my kids handled. You know, single parent, you got to have all your ducks in order and tell my job, which I worked on commissions. So I knew part of my income was going to be gone to go away. So that was stressful on top of it. And um, literally 10 days later, my dad lost his battle to cancer. Um, Thankfully, I made it home with a few hours to spare. So I got to say goodbye and be there with him. But it was really this eye opening of life is too short. Um, that cliche we throw around really came up and smacked me upside the head. And, you know, I stayed in in Chicago for a few weeks to kind of get things in order uh, to deal with the dysfunctional family dynamics that is a good Irish Catholic family. (laughs) And, you know, just handle things and handle myself. And, you know, although my employer was really amazing about giving me time off, I was really good at what I did. and They were like, when are you coming back? And, you know, I remember sitting on the plane stressed out cuz you know i needed the income that commission was more than half my income and you know i i vowed i was never going to be put in this position again that i should have been just able to be there and grieve with my family do what i needed to do without having to worry about this or that you know have my kids with me the whole time i couldn't do that um and so i vowed to never be put in that position again and i came back very changed i came back really changed and um retreated and became more introverted. And it only took about two months for me to hit rock bottom. Um, my coping mechanisms weren't so good. <clears throat> Alcohol came into full force, usually alone at the end. And um, in September, <clears throat> two months after my dad passed away, I made the decision that you know, I needed to live a different kind of legacy than my dad did. My dad was a great man, but he was an alcoholic, an untreated one. Um, and I didn't want that for my children. I didn't want them to go through this. And so I made the decision, a very hard decision to put myself into rehab for alcoholism and my eating disorder, both, um, to get to the root of why I coped the way I did. And at 40 years old, that's what I did. I went in and told my kids that I'm doing this and, you know, I didn't screw up too bad because they, they were like, you know, mom will gladly give you up for 30 days to have you for the rest of our life. And, you know, I made the decision and that's really what it comes down to. It's a decision to give this everything I had, um, to never waver from my efforts in, in fighting this disease to, you know, stay in, in this and, and to change, um, the patterns of my family for many, many decades. It it didn't just start with my parents. It, It goes many generations deep and I was ready to break the cycle. And I was going to do it and I was all in. And so I came home and I was in a relationship at the time, which was very dysfunctional. He was an alcoholic as well, untreated. And so we lived together with my kids and I came home. If you've seen the movie, The Breakup, I mean, that's basically what I was living. It was just a mess and that hung on for a little while. But um, on my six month sobriety day, I had picked up my six month sobriety chip that morning in March. And it was the day that I opened my box of isogenics. A girl I used to work with had been talking about it and <clears throat> we weren't really friends, but I wanted what she had and I needed to feel good. Cause even though I was sober, uh, physically, I felt like a truck hit me every day and she was sparkling and shining. And I was like, I want that, but then give me my box and leave me alone. And so I did, I basically ordered it and put it in my closet for a week and a half and on the morning of my six-month sobriety date I figured it was a good day to start my isogenics and so I did telling no one I didn't want anything to do with the business end of it I wanted to be my introverted isocloseted self and and I was until day four when I came home and both my kids were like what is going on with you mom you're different. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're shining. You know, my kids are teenagers. They don't really care what's going on with mom, but they really did. They noticed something, you know. And I say it's been it had been a rough couple years on all of them, you know. So for them to notice something that quickly, I knew there was something in it. And the man I was dating at the time, he came home too, and I hadn't told any of them. And he's like, "What is going on with you? You look amazing." And so I took him over to my hidden closet, my Isa closet behind the chips and salsa. I said, I don't even know what's in this, and I don't know if it's legal, but I will never be without this stuff pumping through my body. And it was that day that I remembered. You know, the girl that introduced me to it said, "You know, there's way to get these paid for," and I was like, "Whatever." And so I really, I went to Google, looked up the company, and saw what they stood for: the integrity, the family, the, the values, the freedom, and all those resonated with me so deeply. And I watched the compensation plan because I knew I was not going to shut up about this because of what had happened to me in four days. I had chased that feeling for 40 years and I got it that quickly. And so I knew I was going to share it with whoever would listen, whether they paid me or not. So why not figure out how I get paid to do it? And when I saw the compensation plan, I got it right away. I, it made sense to me. I'm a numbers person, I always have been. And it just, I was like, oh, Thank goodness, because I didn't have a lot of friends. I cleaned out a lot of my social network. I had pretty much taken my social network down to zero when I cleaned up my life because the people I was hanging around with weren't good for me. And I saw the way the compensation plan was set up and I could leverage the ones that I didn't know. It didn't just depend on me enrolling people and getting people. It was whoever the people that I brought on brought along to. And I liked that because I'm not a turn and burn kind of salesperson. I don't like to talk to people a ton. And, you know, the ones that I did talk to, they trusted me. So I didn't want to be that person either. Um, And I actually drew out you plus two, them plus two on day four in my kitchen, in the back of my AA book to the boyfriend. I was like, can you believe this? Can you believe this is possible? And he goes, that's awesome. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm taking this all the way. And he's like, I believe you. And so that day, I also found out there was an event coming to Phoenix in about a month. And so I immediately bought a ticket for it. And um, about two days before that event, um, my life got rocked. And, you know, when we, when we make positive changes in our lives, not everybody gets on board. You know, I changed the rules on the people in my life. You know, all of a sudden this go with the flow, do whatever everybody else says to make everybody happy was fighting back, was taking charge of her life. And the people closest to me didn't like it, including one of my closest friends and the boyfriend. And on the same day, two days before that event, both of them walked out of my life. Um, I came home to all the family pictures off the wall, the dog was gone and he was gone. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I mean, we shared the bills. We shared our life. We shared dreams. And within a moment's notice, it was all gone. And the old me would have turned inward even more, would have coped the way that she used to cope. But without those old coping mechanisms, I needed to rely on God and rely on my faith. And I had faith that was bigger than any of my fears. And I was scared. I was really scared. My kids were looking at me like, oh, no. Is this all going to derail now? And I looked at them both and I said, mom's got this. I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. God's got us. And so I marched my butt down to that event all by myself, cried the entire way down. I mean, I literally had makeup all over my face. And as I was sitting in the parking lot, you know, having, you know, because the negative chatter tried to get in my head a little bit, like really Tracy, why don't you get a real job? How are you going to take care of your family? You suck. You know, all the things that we say to ourselves. And, you know, as I was sitting in the parking lot, that friend that walked out of my life sends this horrible text message to me telling me I'm a horrible mother. Who do I think I am? My kids should be ashamed that I'm their mom. Um, Maybe I should rethink my recovery program because it's clearly not working for me. You know, all those awful things that really could have derailed me. And I just, you know, clicked delete and walked into the event by myself anyway. And I sat down and, you know, I hit off in a corner. You know, because I didn't want to talk to anybody and I was a mess. And this lady came down and sat next to me and she introduced herself and it was Betsy Frame. And I said, I'm Tracy. She goes, Oh, I know who you are. And I was a little freaked out. Because <laughs> I'm in an organization. And, you know, as you know, and I didn't know this at the time, but now I know, you know, when you all of a sudden you see volume popping up in your, your tree and, and things start happening, you, you try to find out where that's coming from. And she knew it was coming from me. So she found me at that event and sat with me the entire time. And it was the first time I told my story to one person. You know, I couldn't believe I was telling it to a perfect stranger and it felt so good and I could see it move her. And I was like, okay, that felt good, that felt good. Cause I never, I mean, I was raised in a way you keep your secrets in the home, you'd let nobody know what's going on in your home. And here I was at this event with a couple hundred people talking to strangers about my, my story. And it was just really different. But I had to do that in recovery. That's where I learned it. In recovery, we, we tell our truth. We live in truth. You know, to thine own self be true is, you know, what I live by. And so here I was in this isogenics event doing that very thing. And I was like, holy moly, this isn't the Rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But okay, I'm going to do this anyway. And, you know, Susan Sly and Lynn Hagedorn and Betsy and Cindy Hedges all spoke through me that day. And I knew I was leaving different. And I was going to um, wear my heart on the sleeve, be as open and honest, because my story isn't about me. And yes, you, you said you probably told your story a million times, and I do. And I'll keep telling, if it, keep telling it if it helps somebody, because it isn't about me anymore. Um, I do heal a little bit more each time I tell it. So there, I do get something out of it. So I'm always happy to share it. Um, but I know that for a long time, I felt like I was all alone and nobody could relate to me. And my experience, what I have found is that's quite the opposite, is the more I tell it, the more that people relate to it, the more that people can identify with what I was going through. And maybe they're feeling that at this very moment, and they don't have the tools um, to push through it because it gets scary. It's comfortable to stay alone. It's comfortable to isolate. It's comfortable for nobody to hold you accountable because then you don't have to answer to anyone. And, um, you know, what I have found is, is by telling my story and what I've done to power through that, even when I'm scared, because I'm still scared telling my story here, you know, who knows who this, you know, who's going to see this. Um, but I know it's help more people than it's going to ever hurt me. And, you know, I know God's got me. And if you know, I'm, I'm a deep believer in my faith. And if if God is everything, then what the heck is there to be afraid of? So, you know, I, I will just continue to keep putting it out there. And, you know, over the course of the last two and a half years, you know, I, I cleaned house, my social network was zero when I started this. And, you know, I needed to clear that out to make room for the beautiful souls that were going to enter and, and all the friendships I've made. And, you know, I never saw that coming. I just thought I was going to feel better. I really did. I, that's all I started this for was to just physically feel better. And I, I, I received so much more. I have friends and friends that I call family and, and my kids have role models, not just me that they look up to that they are a part of this culture too. And, and, that transformation is just beautiful because my kids are now coping with things they are now 19 and almost 18 and the way they cope with life situations because life is hard, you know, And, and I tell everybody I talk to, you know, life is like the ocean and there isn't an amount of money that can fix everything in the world. Um, it gives you freedom and choices. Yes. However, you know, life is like the ocean and there's a period of the ocean where it's so peaceful and calm it's the most serene place on earth, but the waves always come. They always do, and sometimes they're bigger than others, and sometimes they come and knock you on your rear end, and, you know, our job is just to learn how to surf a little bit better, so when the waves do come, we can pop up on that board and just ride it out and ride it out instead of getting tossed under and, you know, pulled under the waves, and, you know, that's, that's what I'm here to do is to teach people how to surf a little bit better. And, you know, even my own children are surfing like rock stars now. And, you know, they know the waves are coming, but they know that they can't control that. We can't control people, places or things. We can only control our reactions to them. And there are sometimes we choose to not give anything, any more power than it needs. And, you know, the old me is a fighter. I'm a hardcore, you know, type a red fireball that used to fight about everything. And now there are just some situations where, you know, the more you fight back, even if you're right, it just gives it more power. And I just choose not to let that kind of energy into my life. And, and as a result, my life is so much less drama. Um, It's a little weird, because I was surrounded by drama. And I know you've been part of the same programs I have as far as, you know, you attract whatever you are. And I was surrounded by drama all the time. And that's probably because I was the biggest drama queen on the planet. And it's ironic now. I mean, my life's pretty boring. It's quiet and and, and I like it. And I want to keep it that way because maybe I'm quiet and boring, but yeah, that's, that's really just what I've done. I mean, there's lots of things I've done along the way, but that's the nuts and bolts of it. Um,
0: yeah, I have had like just a whole time you're talking, and I just like keep multiplying. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I just have one more question for you because um, <clears throat> I feel like sometimes we get so caught up in our story that we um, we feel like there's no way for us to like become something more or something better. So one of the the things you know besides the story you just shared was the story that you shared of how now you connect with people, and you said I can look out into into this audience. I think there were like 800 people there. And the people that you knew that were your friends you said I know everything about them like I know what drives them and you were pointing out all different people and you were were mentioning that and so my question about that was like how did you get to that place how did you get to where um, you were able to have that connection with people instead of um, reverting I know this is possible and I know you know that I'm changing but I'm not really sure how to connect to people so do you know what I'm trying to ask you like what was it, and it may have been a series of many things and it might be hard to explain, but what is it that allowed you to not only have the desire to connect with people, but actually the ability to do it? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it started, in, honestly, in recovery. I mean, when you walk into the rooms of a recovery program, I mean, all bets are off. you are honest. And, I mean, some of the stuff I hear in there is like, are you kidding me? I can't even believe that I'm hearing this. And And all of a sudden, you realize that, Everybody in the world, we're a lot more alike than we are different. And I became willing to expose myself. And I wanted to get to know people. I really did. Because there's so much, you know, I'm all about the masks. You know, you've heard me talk about that. And for 40 years, I wore masks. You know, if you wanted me to be the perfect wife, I was that. The perfect daughter, the perfect employee, the perfect mom. I could be anything you wanted me to be. And I got to the point where I didn't even know who I was. And I know I wasn't alone. And so when I made the decision, and honestly, it is all a decision, you know, to be open and vulnerable. And, you know, part of getting to know people is letting them get to know you as well. And by me sharing my story, I noticed how quickly, and it freaked me out a little bit, how quickly people were connecting with me and, and wanting to, like, they would meet me even though they hadn't met me, but they knew stuff about me. They'd heard me speak and like, they'd come up to me and within five seconds, they're crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? Um, but I got that. The trust was, they trusted me immediately because I was so willing to go first and tell my story and be really exposed. I mean, the stuff I tell is, is pretty vulnerable. You know, um, most people in recovery don't talk about it and that, you know, I get it, but, you know, thank goodness I have a platform where I can do that. And and it actually not only helps me, but helps thousands of other people. But I noticed that trust was there right away with them. And so because they trusted me, I, I wanted to hear their story and really care because, you know, for 40 years, like I said, I put band-aids on every situation to try and feel better instead of getting to the real root of the issue And although it worked for short periods of time, what I noticed was there was no um, um, longevity to anything I did. I mean, I'd be really good at stuff, and then I'd bail. I'd be really good at something, I'd bail. I'd be really good in a relationship, and I'd bail. And so I knew that getting to the root of things not only helped me, but would help anybody I talk to. So when I do truly want to connect with somebody because I want what's best for them, because I deeply care about people. Yeah. And so I know getting to the root of their stuff and helping them work through that. And, and sometimes they're not even aware of what the heck they're saying. They're like, Oh my gosh, I've never even thought of it that way. And I know that the, the chances of them having a healthy, healthier, um, more soul filled life, greater if they get to the real issue yes it's going to be messy and uncomfortable but i promise them on the other side there's this big beautiful bright light that you know you can lay your head down on a pillow knowing you are your true self and that you know people were going to love you or not and it's okay you know i'm not everybody's favorite person and i'm totally okay with that because some people aren't comfortable with getting uncomfortable and i get that but whoever i'm talking to no matter if it's a stranger or you know somebody I've met at an event or my own kids, they know that I'm digging deep because I love them and because I care so much about them. So my wanting to connect is because I care so much about people. Um, there were some great people in my early days of sobriety when I was terrified that that did that for me, that helped me. Really get to the root of things. And once you can clean up the wreckage of that past, you know, it doesn't mean it changes things. It doesn't mean that it's going to all of a sudden make your life that much better, but you're going to have a different set of clear eyes that you can look at a situation. You know, yes, you could still get hurt when you open up your heart. Yes, I mean, I've been hurt a lot in the last two and a half years exposing myself, but it's okay because it's helped a lot more people than I've been hurt, and I will keep doing it. But it really is a decision. to care deeply about people and do whatever you can to help them. And because I've walked this path already, I know that it works. And I know because they, they trust me, they're more willing to do it um, because I, I am doing it right along with them. It's not one of those things where, you know, people will do what you do, not what you say to do. And because I'm doing it every day, I work on me every day and I'm very open and honest about it. Um, they trust me and they're willing to do it too because they know that I'll be right there with them. Um, and, and so <clears throat> when you asked about getting to know people and the people in my team or even people not on my team, I know many people's reasons for why they, they do what they do. And, and it truly is that connection. There's nothing better than looking somebody in the eyes and knowing um, what they want in life and because life again, the waves are going to come and when those waves come, I can help them on that surfboard and be like, remember when you said, this is why you wanted to do this. Now let's hop on this board and just ride this wave out instead of, you know, getting sucked under and they're like, okay, okay. I can push through. If you can do it, I can do it. And, and I will keep doing that because I do care about people because when you have people that are happy and want to serve others the world really is just a much more beautiful place, and and it's hard for negativity to be in that kind of area. Like I, negative people have a hard time being around me because I will call them out. Um, even at that event in Chicago, there was a girl sitting behind me, and it was the moment when they were kind of going through the the script, and you know, if somebody was off, like even by a word, you know, it was like next, and the girl behind me was losing her. Stuff because we weren't keeping her off the stage, and she was being rude. And I literally turned around. I go, "Are you kidding me right now? Like, are you listening to yourself? Like, you are being mean." And she was taken back. And the old me would have just kind of tolerated that, pretended like she wasn't saying it. But I'm like, I don't want that kind of energy anywhere near me. And she was not happy with me. But you know, it's it's you know, this is these are my values. That is not nice. And no, no, we won't have that. And I did it with love. I wasn't like mean or anything, but um but I would never would have done that before. And I felt good about doing it because everybody around me was watching that and they were thinking what I was about what I was about to say. And so again, leading by example, <clears throat> going first, builds trust. And when you build trust with people, not only will they go to the ends of the earth for you, but with you. And I know I can use that in my life. And, you know, I've had to call in the troops when things were hard in my life. And, you know, like I shared this weekend, as a single parent, there are certain roles. I'm not a guy. Um, there are certain roles I can't feel the same way. I mean, I do my best and I do a really, really, really good job. But sometimes my son especially needs a man of faith to talk to. And thank goodness I have surrounded myself with an army of them. Um, and it's only because I was willing. And I made the decision to open up my heart and get to know people. And I'm so grateful for that. It's worth every part of it, even the hard times. So,
0: Thank you so much. So just a couple of things as you were talking, because one of my whole reasons for doing this blog and this platform that I'm choosing to follow is because I believe so deeply that people are more and they are different. And I feel like there's a lot of people that don't realize that. I feel like there's a lot of people that feel alone because they think they're the only one. So that's kind of the the voice, the platform I'm trying to take, just with the travels I make and the people I meet. And I knew that you were the perfect person to interview. So when you were talking, I was like, Oh my goodness, it's exactly that. And then the decision—I'm all about decision. Um, once you decide something, and you truly decide something, nothing it's going to keep you from that. So that why and that, I love the surfboard analogy, especially my husband Dave is a surfer. His um, his business is actually big wave. So um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And so I'm not a surfer, but the analogy still was perfect. I loved it. And the ocean, all of that. Um, and the last thing that you said, that really is something I'm in the process of learning. So just hearing you say it, like re-solidified my, um, my decision, and my drive to continue my own journey, is that, Um, you don't reach people, you don't help people because you've already arrived, and you already are that, but that you are arriving and that you're being that to the best of your ability, and um, so my own life, I don't necessarily have all the drama, and um, I've always felt like it's hard to reach people because I've had this perfect life, right, but I'm realizing that it's this perfection this perceived perfection and I didn't necessarily feel like I was that but I felt perceived that way so it was like this wall and people didn't want to connect to me because they felt maybe less than so by me opening up and sharing my own journey I'm finding connections with people that I didn't believe could be possible and could exist and so just you solidified that for me and I'm, the only reason I'm saying that is because maybe there's someone on this other side you know where life seems it has the appearance of being everything but dramatic you know so um
1: but there's always something
0: on the inside and and we need to open up and share that so yeah that was really powerful for me and hopefully for everyone that well i don't even think hopefully for everyone that will be watching I know it's going to be powerful. So thank you so much.
1: The the last thing I want to say about that is, you know, for a long, long time, I felt alone. And quite honestly, I created that environment. I chose to be alone. I chose to isolate. And I want anybody out there that feels really alone, know it's a choice. Because we have a beautiful community that is more than willing to love the heck out of you. Um, Don't make the choice to stay isolated. Because isolation is the thief of joy. We were put on this earth to connect with each other and to love each other. That is what we're truly here for. So make the choice to get out of your comfort zone, reach out, ask for help. That was so hard for me. It's still hard for me um, because I was also perceived as having everything together, and I was always taught that asking for help was weakness. And it's quite op- it's quite opposite. That that's strength. Knowing when you need help or or backup or. Or just anything is a strength and you know, we always do better as a team. We really, really do in any part of your life. You know, in parenting and you know, career wise, anything, faith, whatever. An army is way better than going solo. So um, know that you have a choice and, and we have anybody. I know Carrie and myself, if you ever need a friend, we're here, so
0: Dare to find Find your voice voice. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. This is the EWN Podcast Network. This is the EWN Podcast Network.